Time again for another episode of Scary Sharing. Yes, it is the harvest where we share spooky news and frightful views with each other and you about all things horror. <laughs> and the harvest is bountiful. <laughs> I don't know. I just want to say something different. I want to say Hamlet. It just didn't come out. The Hamlet? But it could be a harvest of horror. It could. We could be a Hamlet of horror, too. It's like a village. We have... It takes It takes people to make a village, and we have it, people. And it so. takes a village, and no child left behind. That's right. <laughs> and I am here today with the fantastical, the orgasmical, Jeremy the Original, Sasquatch Slim Rusk. And you are the amazing, incredible, <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this. You're awesome. You know it. It's Brandy Joe Planbeck, the flaming scream queen himself. I, uh... And if you've never listened to us, Jeremy and I like to talk about scary movies um, in whatever fashion, news, things we've watched, etc. And mm-hmm. then we assign a movie to the other person that they've not seen before. We go away and watch them, and then we come back and we talk about them. That's what we do. That is indeed what we do. Jeremy. Yeah. Have you heard of the elevator game? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Your face said no, but your mouth said yes. Because for a minute it sounded weird, but then I was like, wait, isn't this a thing I read about on like creepy pastas and stuff on uh, a million years ago on Reddit? Like the scary, I used to be obsessed with reading um, the people's scariest true stories on Reddit for a long time. And I think yeah. the elevator game was one of those things I came across on there. Yeah, I think I think it's fun. And it sort of gained popularity when the whole Elisa Lamb thing went down because people thought she was playing the elevator game. Yeah, isn't it the people. thing where you're like you're supposed to go to this floor first, then this floor in like yeah, a weird you go one, four, two, six, two, ten, five. Uh-huh. And then a woman is to enter and you're not supposed to engage with her. And then you're supposed to pl- press floor one. And if it goes to floor one, you're like, good. And if it goes to floor 10, you're like, walk out into like an alternate reality. Oh but my you're just God. not supposed to engage with her. I bring it up because there's a movie coming out, like a Shutter release called mm-hmm. The Elevator Game that goes into this. Mm. And um, But it's supposed to be bad. I watched a review from a... From Spooky Astronaut, I really like her a lot, and um, she's a YouTube channel, and she did not care for it, so. Damn. That, I mean, we're mostly in line, she and I, I just really like her, she's super cute, and just mm-hmm. has, like, a really fun personality, and she just doesn't look like your stereotypical horror lover, which is, uh, like, I'm a big fan of that, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, but I, I like the idea of the elevator game, and I would play it sometime. We should do it and see if we go to an alternate dimension. Yeah. I just want to see if a woman gets on at floor five, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Then you know know it's the point of no return. Then you're like, oh, fuck. Oh, shit, it's real. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremy, you know what? Something is super exciting. What's that? We have three new iTunes reviews. Whoa! I know. And I think I know who all three of them are, but I'm very appreciative nevertheless. I mean, maybe appreciative even more, right? Mm-hmm. So the first one comes from Jamrich2, which I know who that is. And the um, subject header, whatever, is fun, fun, fun. 
Great mm. podcast. The hosts have excellent chemistry and the show is super fun. Can't wait to hear more. Five stars. Thank you, Jamrich slash Jamie. Yeah. And the next one is from JJ4Music, which I think might be our friend Joey over from Only Slightly Opinionated, where Jeremy, mm. Jamie is also from. Mm. I could be wrong here. This could be someone else. But the uh, subject is podcast gold. Ooh. These guys are an absolute blast. As a fellow horror movie lover, I love this whole concept. The hosts are having a great time, so you can't help but fall in love with them. I'm a new but loyal fan. More, 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 please. Smiley face with tea showing. Thank you, JJ4 Music. Yeah, you're in luck, because we don't plan on stopping. So <laughs> Can't stop, won't stop. That's it. And um, I want to know if that is, if this is Joey. I'm curious... What the for music? Do you play music? I'm so curious. And then the last one is from our, I believe, our friend Matthew, because it's from Matt K three one three, and he's originally from the three one three. And the subject is very enjoyable. Five stars. I really enjoy listening to Brandy and Jeremy talk all things horror. Aside from hearing their opinions on horror films, I also enjoy discovering films that I may not be aware of. One plus to the show is that they do a decent job of not doing too many spoilers they try to warn listeners before they get to spoilers great banter as well you really know you're listening to two friends who love horror and as someone who also loves horror i love listening to them thank you matthew or matt k313 i'm not assuming anything (laughs) wonderful but i am a robot oh we love that. And if you want to leave a review for us, we would greatly appreciate it. You can do that on iTunes. It's the only place I know of where it can happen. Yeah, and we'll read it on the air. So We fucking will. Okay. So, Jeremy, what's up with you? What have you watched this week since we oh, last spoke? Since we last spoke, last night, went to the theater and saw The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Oh, you did? How twast. It was so-so. Okay. And it is about the ship that brings Dracula to, not the United States. London. uh, To London, from Transylvania. Correct. Okay. Yep. And it was, you know, it wasn't the best, not horribly awful. It's one of those things, though, you walk away because I'm like, I like this director's other work because this is the same director. He did the movie Troll Hunter uh, Mm. over in Mm -hmm. Norway. He did Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which we covered on this show. Um, But this movie, I don't know. It wasn't the greatest. Um, The plus side, it had good actors in it. Um, And at times it reminded me of like a hammer horror film, like one of the Draculas from like the sixties or seventies that they did. Um, But the rest of it, it got a little melodramatic for being like a Dracula movie. I'm like, come on guys, we know this is just Dracula. Like it doesn't have to try and get so dead serious. Um, And I wasn't crazy about the CGI monster. It was one of those movies with a mostly CGI monster and it just was not clicking for me. So it's like it's Dracula. Like he doesn't need to be CGI. Yeah, no. And just some like, cool makeup will go a long way. Yeah, absolutely. So um that that's what it left me thinking too, because I kept thinking about Willem Dafoe in Shadow of the Vampire, which we just mm-hmm. watched, where I'm like, you could have just had a guy with slightly creepy features and that would have been super effective. So yeah. but but they decided to go full monster with it and it was mostly a CGI creature like running around. Did you see any new trailers? 
Nope. Entirely stuff we've been seeing. There was Five Nights at Freddy's. There was the new Exorcist. Um, I feel like there's a couple more that I've already forgotten because I've seen all of these. So yeah, nothing nothing new or exciting. I just watched a like horror movies we're most excited for this the rest of the year of 2023. And on it, they talked about The Nun 2, of course. Um, and one thing I did not know that made me even less excited to watch it <laughs> is that it is directed by the guy who directed The Curse of La Llorona and The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It, which oh. are two god... Like, you have someone do some of the worst movies in your series and you're going to bring them back like if they would have brought, brought back like mike flanagan because did he do he did oh no that was ouija but um whoever did annabelle um creation like that was a really yeah. good return to form i don't think it was mike flanagan um but i'm looking it up right now but the other thing that they talked about was pet cemetery bloodlines which we have not talked about Mm-hmm. Are you excited about it? No. no it's like <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I am intrigued. Yeah. I just watched. I'm interested, but sure. I wouldn't say I'm excited. Yeah. I just watched um, the Pet Cemetery documentary. Do you know about this? Yes. Uh, I, I heard. Um, I heard good things about it. Unearthed and untold the yeah. path to Pet Cemetery. Um, I watched that on the plane. I forgot to mention that the last time. And I liked it. Um, it's kind of like, it feels, I mean, they get pretty much everyone. I didn't realize, I don't know why I didn't realize this. I didn't realize the um, Ellie, or the, I think that's the daughter's name. I didn't realize she was played by twins. Oh. I thought she I was guess, just one. I guess that makes sense, because back in the day, they did that a lot because mm-hmm. of child labor laws. So they always wanted to find twins so that they could film a lot but just flop out yeah switch out the kid they really wanted to do that with gage and the mary lambert was like no like this kid is amazing he's perfect and he is so good miko hughes is so so good yeah it's definitely worth a watch i mean they have you know pretty much everyone that's like alive on to talk about it it just it feels a little low budget which is like fine it's a documentary it doesn't need to feel splashy and and all that but um, you know, they talk a lot to like, cause they filmed it in Maine because there was like a big push that so much of Stephen King stuff that takes place in Maine and the books was filmed in like Hollywood and stuff. So mm-hmm. they filmed it in this small house in Maine. And the most interesting thing about it was they, for Judd Crandall's, Judd Crandall, am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. For his house, they, they did find like the perfect house for like the Maine family. And then across the street was like a smaller house. So they built like a house frame over that house. Oh, okay. But because it gets spoiler alert, um, set on fire towards the end, they had to like build like extra things like behind it. So they burnt it with a house like inside of it, essentially. They like burnt all this extra, and, like the whole town showed up to watch it. But I was like the homeowners, they like interviewed them and they were like, Well, we were just kind of hoping for the best. <laughs> Cause it's like they it, like literally burns it's so yeah. crazy they must have got a big fat paycheck too out of it Probably. from the production company yeah but it was yeah it's it's worth watching it's worth a watch if you love the movie um which you know i've talked about it so many times on here i'm a big fan um and i did just look up annabelle creation the director was the guy who did the lights out short which makes total sense and the mm-hmm. lights out movie which i'm not a big fan of and he directed shazam yeah the annabelle shazam creation movies. is the best of the non-conjuring 
films in the conjuring universe the I extended think. conjuring universe Thank you. Yes, yeah no i was gonna say i'm less excited for nun stuff now that i saw the news item that uh, her name's escaping me she plays the nun in the movie oh. she's she's suing warner brothers right now for why uh, for royalties because she's saying that they're profiting off of her image and not giving her her fair share her cut of all the merchandise huh. they make based on the nun as usual typical hollywood stuff typical yep the other, the most surprising thing in this like little um, movies we're excited for that I've heard about forever, and we've talked about it once on here, is, and they have like bits from the trailer, which I didn't know was a thing, is Dear David, which is based on that BuzzFeed phenomena where the guy said like his house was haunted and he had all these like videos and oh! photos and stuff of like this creepy boy with like a yes! sunken in head but i they remember had, like footage from like the trailer or from the movie oh yeah i remember reading about that when it was a thing oh, online it was so joe and i were just like totally entranced by it for mm-hmm. a little for a little while there but it comes out on october 13th friday october 13th so mm-hmm. wait i have to say now that i know that's coming out i'm super excited from what i saw i don't know that i'm convinced that it's gonna be good but but who knows but the whole notion of it was definitely scary back in the day. Like the yeah. pictures looked so real and there were like videos and stuff. Like it was good. That was yeah. some good, some good times. Cool. Well, I mean, do you, you know the, the news that just happened that has me excited beyond belief now? Cause we've been asking and wondering where the hell is this movie? What? Toxic Avenger. Oh yes. It, there was premier- like a little poster. Yeah. It's premiering next month at fantastic fest. Nice. Which means it won't come out until 2024. Yeah, probably. But here's hoping maybe they'll speed it along. But okay, it's premiering next month. So uh, and they released a teaser image of what looks to be Peter Dinklage as the character. Mm. Um, He's obscured by shadow, but it looks uh, pretty cool. So uh, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Give us a trailer at least or something. I want to see what this is going to look like. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that sounds fun. And have you heard about Mother Nature? Mm-mm. I mean, not like, you know. Yeah, not the Mother concept, Nature. you mean. <laughs> but it, it it's a Jamie Lee Curtis eco-horror graphic novel ah. that she created with a filmmaker named Russell Goldman. I didn't look up who he is. Hmm. Um, and Carl Stevens illustrates it, if that means anything to you. No, it And it's based on Jamie Lee Curtis's screenplay for an upcoming Blumhouse horror movie, which she also directs. Whoa. And the description is Mother Nature follows a woman determined to sabotage the corporation responsible for her father's death, only to discover a horrifying truth about the nature behind it all. Cool. I started off saying Mother Nature follows a woman, and I literally thought, like, the creature, the entity known as Mother Nature will follow somebody. That's how I was reading it in my mind until You're afterwards, like, and I was like, oh, no, no, it's no. this movie is about. Yeah, but the plot. Yeah, I'm excited. A graphic novel from Jamie Lee Curtis, and then from a movie that she directs that she also wrote a screenplay for. I'm like, hey, yeah, cool. Because wait, did you watch The Bear? No. Oh, you need to watch The Bear. We're not done with the second season, but everyone tells me watch The Bear, and I'm like, you will love it. It will stress you out for sure. Mm -hmm. Like if you're someone with, I don't know what, not maybe not OCD, but like, I mean, it's in a restaurant. There's, if you've worked in a restaurant it will stress you the fuck out. If you currently work in a restaurant, you may be like, yeah, no, it's too close to home. Uh, But there's an episode with Jamie Lee Curtis that she's like, so fucking good. Mm -hmm. I'm terribly, terribly excited about that. Cool. 
And my last bit of news, I'm so excited, especially following our episode with Mike McGettigan, that Stephen King has another book coming out, I think this fall, called Holly Gibney. <gasps> oh, good. Yeah. It's all about our girl. Yeah, continuing her story, huh? Yeah, so maybe it will ignite a new series. That'd be cool. I, and now I got to go back and read all the books with her in it as a character, because oh, yeah. I know she's in the, like... I know she's Mr. in Mr. Mercedes. Mr. Mercedes, the outsider, of course. And um, maybe one more. I think there's another one. Yeah, that she popped up in. But I want to read all those now. That's the thing is like, I'm so bad. I've read a lot of old Stephen King, but I'm not good at keeping up with modern Stephen King. So I really need to dive into some of those. Like, I really wanted to read that one that came out. What is it? Uh, Fables or something like Fairy that. Fairy tale. Fairy tale. That's it. But I heard that was very good. So I want to read that. Yeah. Joe just read it and really liked it. I, I don't think he did at first, but he eventually, I think by the end, I think he did enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So love that. Yeah. Um, we have some telegrams to get to. Yeah. Let's get to them. Let's Pe fucking get to them. People are, people want to hear their telegrams. <laughs> um, there's the first one here I'm going to read. And it's from my friend Bobby, who I think has mentioned to me. And not, I think I know he's mentioned to me that he listens, but I think he's a first time writer. Cool. And I love uh, Bobby. I haven't seen him in fl the flesh, as I say, for some long while. But Bobby, I miss you. And Bobby writes the um tat or the subject is so bad it's good. Cool. I just scare boys with all this talk of so bad it's good that keeps popping up. I have to get your take on my all time favorite of that ilk that I'm surprised hasn't come up yet. Deep Blue Sea. Samuel L. Jackson and his toothy end, and of course, LL Cool J's chef slash preacher character, who I think steals the shit show. Emoji face, crying, laughing to the, the side. I feel like this one appeals to Jeremy's sensibilities a bit more with the whole giant shark slash kaiju energy, but I'm dying to get y'all's input. Bobby D. Bobby D! Bobby D! Bobby D! Um... I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through. Oh, really? Okay. I know the scene, like the big scene. I, yeah. Everyone, like I know that from like clip shows and stuff, but I don't think I've seen the whole thing. Yeah, I used to love it. Um, Did you? I haven't seen it since I was like a youth, uh, since I was a teenager. Um, it was a favorite at like sleepovers <laughs> when I was younger, <laughs> like trying to pick a movie to decide on. It's like, what can we watch? What we can watch? And Deep Blue Sea was usually what everyone could land on and be like, that's appeals to everybody's sensibility so let's watch deep blue sea so i remember seeing it multiple times at like sleepovers at friends houses um but that's the last i remember of it but it was uh it, it was a lot of fun that's what i re recall um but uh, i gotta revisit it yeah uh, our friends over at it's only a podcast during their mother mommy nature dearest their um series right now is they they covered it and i listened to it and i was like i don't think i've watched this before i don't think i've seen it the mm -hmm. whole thing yeah no i just said watched and seen and it just brings it up i had a friend um who like i i think i can't remember what i said like i was talking about a movie and i'm like i haven't watched that and he's like do you mean you haven't seen that and i was like isn't it like the same thing watched mm -hmm. and seen but like to him there was something about that you would use one for one thing but not for another like, do you watch a movie or do you see a movie? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know, I don't the know what it means either. It came out of my mouth that I thought of it, but yeah. I, don't I can't remember his exact um, argument with the whole thing. So you know what? Moving on. Moving uh, but on. Yeah, so Deep Blue Sea, I would like to I would like to check it out. 
Yeah, maybe I'll throw it on in for consideration. Maybe we can get to that at some point. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right. Well, what do you got for me? All right. The next tarogram goes, good morning, Jeremy and Brandy Joe. I was out running this morning listening to your podcast, of course, and stopped to get hydrated. Another runner who had also stopped asked, I like your t-shirt. What is that? I looked down and I was wearing my Scaring is Sharing merch. I think you might get a new fan. A few things to catch up on. We missed you last week, by the way. Even though we have been back in school for three weeks now, I'm still carving out time for horror. The horror of Dolores Roach. This new short series seems to be flying under the radar, but is worth the watch. The protagonist slash antihero is also in my favorite Final Destination film. Brandy Joe, elements of this should appeal to your connection to the theater. Dead Dicks. Thank God for Letterboxd recommending this interesting gem to me. Gatlop. Hell of a game. At the start, it seems predictable and cliche and then goes in a different direction. Lastly, I finally caught Hatchet. After hearing about it for so long, I'm glad I finally watched it. I was inspired to post my best horror movie scores on Letterboxd. Some are standards, but at least one might be a surprise. What are some of your best of music scores in horror? That's all for now. Till next time, stay happy, stay healthy, stay you, Teacher Drew and Phoenix. Thanks, Teacher Drew. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Dolores Roach series, I know is like, I don't know if it's based on or inspired by Sweeney Todd, which I think is what oh, he's referring okay. to, which okay. seems so odd from what I know about it. Yeah. I just haven't had the desire to watch it, but I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah, and then Dead Dicks and Gatlop, I don't even know what those are. I don't either. Not so. heard of them. And then Hatchet, of course, you know, I'm a fan of the Hatchet series, so but it's been years since I've like engaged with those. So I do want to give a rewatch to the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I remember when the first Hatchet came out, like, and I discovered it, I was like, this is totally what I had been waiting for, like something cool and new at the time in the slasher genre. So um, but okay. like, but a throwback to like 80s, you know, like Friday the 13th and Halloween mm-hmm. movies from the 80s for sure. So that was like okay. A revelation, I remember, when it came out. So I want to revisit the first Hatchet again. Okay. Let's talk about horror scores. Yeah, horror scores. And I looked at Teacher Drew's list since we are. We follow each other on Letterboxd. I'm a creep. I creeped on it. It's got solid entries in there. So, Well, what are are some of yours? And mine. um, And I got some overlap with you, Teacher Drew, for sure. But of course, like, you cannot... And this is the thing, too. I love listening to horror movie scores. I even collect them on vinyl, so I have, like, a whole bunch. But, like, um, you got to go with Halloween. Of course, that's one of the greatest. John Carpenter. But I'll raise you the original Halloween and say that Halloween 2 is underrated, I think, as a score on its own. Because there's Halloween. Halloween 2, sure, it's a lot of the same themes from the first Halloween. But Halloween 2 is where he went full synth with it. Like, that's where it got Mm. really 80s. and it does some interesting things. But he also did Halloween 3, which I think is a really good score in its own right as well, because you would expect it. I mean, you know, it's the break. We all know it has nothing to do with Michael Myers, but it's interesting that it does fit right in with the style of the other Halloweens, but he doesn't reuse any of the themes he'd already been using. Like, he makes all original music for it. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yeah. Another, After another. watching it again, I was just like, the score is so good it's so good um what else comes to mind i think one of my all-time favorites is the original Candyman. 
Oh, yeah, Philip Glass. Yeah, Philip Glass. It's so haunting and it's, perfect. It's, yeah, uh, it's gorgeous. And a big one, I think, that gets uh, forgotten because I don't often hear it when people talk. I think, I mean, it's getting recognized now, but people don't often talk about it. Hellraiser. Oh, it's a, isn't that also Philip Glass? No. No, no, no. That's uh, Christopher Young. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, oh, he it's does. so beautiful it is it's full orchestral they did it like it stood out in the 80s because everyone was doing synth at that point like by the end of the 80s they all copied john carpenter and went over to synth music um but he went for full orchestral score it's gothic it sounds like it's from another era um but yeah hellraiser and hellraiser 2 for that matter that score is also amazing um and a lot of these sequels too i think sometimes fly under the radar um like friday the 13th one through six like all of those are great like oh, harry manfred the best yeah harry manfredini did all of those uh like the first six um and those are all great three is fantastic with like the so disco good. it's got so the disco good. opening theme that is so cool um yeah i mean there's a ton of them i could go on and on do you have what are some of your favorites the there's a few um well the two that come to mind because i love a good synth score and so the two that fit into that for me that are like contemporary ones that just like do a little nod back the final girls i love that score Mm -hmm. so much and that is gregory jenkins gregory james jenkins love 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 that score and then also um it follows disaster yes oh god yeah that one's oh, so it good follows is amazing the score yeah. is so so good so those are two that are not like ones that people typically talk about but that i'm a, like huge fan of oh yeah and my other one is poltergeist it's oh. really like that theme song with the like the little kids singing yeah la 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 yeah <laughs> it's, it's pretty that, like that that's really good um and I just realized too, talking about these like with sequels, Nightmare on Elm Street, the original is awesome. Nightmare on Elm Street 2, I think, is a really good score, which was also yeah. Christopher Young, because it sounds okay. similar to Hellraiser yes, when you listen yes, to Yes, you're right. I forgot two. about that. Oh, the score is so good. And then um Nightmare on Elm Street three was Angelo Badlamenti, uh, who worked with David Lynch a lot. Uh, so when you listen to that one, I think it's very similar to Twin Peaks because he did okay. the Twin Peaks music. So, and that's another one. I know it's horror adjacent, a television show, but of course, like Twin Peaks, uh, another one I that always comes to mind is the X Files. Of course, that had some amazing music uh, throughout that. Besides just the main theme that everyone remembers, but they had a lot of really good creepy music in that show, for sure. Yeah, but there's there's a lot. There really are. There's, so there's a lot. And I'm such a music nerd too that I could just go on and on. So yeah, I um and I don't think it is te- technically the score, but maybe, but I I ever since we watched Miss 40 Ms. 45, that fucking disco song. Yes. I have it on my like my main playlist I listen to. It's like my uh-huh. playlist, everything I heart on Apple Music. And oh my god, I could jam. I could listen to that so much. It gets stuck in my head. It is such a banger. Yes. A rager? A banger? A banger. A um, banger. And another one more. One more I got to mention that teacher Drew had it on his list too is of course The Exorcist. Uh, um yeah. which but I think what's fascinating about The Exorcist is like I don't know. Do you truly consider it a score? Because um, all of that, well, most of it, I think there are some original pieces, but most of it, like even the famous theme from Tubular, Tubular Bells. Bells. Yeah. 
those are pre-existing pieces of music. They actually took uh, compositions that existed independent oh, of the movie and, that. and used them for the movie. So they curated a soundtrack for it is how The Exorcist, most of the music happened for that, which I, okay. think, is, which I think is fascinating. Now, do you know Book of Love, the group? No. They're like like an 80s group. I think they have this song called Pretty Boys and Pretty Girls. And when Joe and I first got together, mm-hmm. he was a fan of them. I didn't know them. But they do a remix with Tubular Bells. And within it, they also sample Linda Blair. Mother, make it stop. <laughs> it does this. I'll have to send it to you. It is, it is awesome. And I wouldn't know it without my husband. That's and awesome. It, the song is so good. But if I hear it without the Tubular Bells and without the Reagan in uh, soundbite, it, it feels incomplete for sure. Incomplete. Okay. Yeah. I'm cool. going to send that to you. It is, it is uh, a banger indeed. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, so many good scores. They're really, I mean, horror music because you, some, I don't know. Like, I, I think that people could think like, Oh, horror movies, you know, for people who don't think it's like they, there are good movies that happen to be horror movies or whatever but there's just a man some of the scores are just so good because they sort of tap into different feels than a lot of other movies do i think yeah and yeah and it's sometimes just getting the perfect score that enhances like the mood you're going for with that certain movie that you know without that because they always talk about the famous uh cut early cut of friday the 13th where they weren't going to use music in it oh i didn't know Um, that because they wanted it to, I don't know if they were going more for like a documentary, you know, style feel or to make it feel more realistic. So they weren't huh. going to use music, but everyone thought it was boring without music. Like test audiences did not react well to it. So they're like, okay, we got to get some music in here. And then they got Harry Manfredini who just knocked it out of the park. And then they're like, and now everyone's terrified of this movie. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So it, it, it's a fascinating uh, huh. idea to think about. Okay. Well, that was a great topic, Teacher Drew. Yeah. We could talk about that for days and days. Yeah, we could go on and on. All right. Well, we have one more telegram here from a good friend of the podcast, Matthew. And the subject is Salem's Lot. Hmm. And Matthew writes, well, gentlemen, I finally did it. I finished Salem's Lot. Although I enjoyed it, I had a few issues with it. One being the book was uh, way too long, clocking in at 653 pages. I feel 75 or maybe even 100 pages could have been cut. This might have made it a faster read for me. And I thought it dragged toward the end. When Ethan brought up the book, he mentioned he was surprised by homophobic slurs being used. I have some thoughts about that, and let me explain. Firstly, there are a ton of characters that are introduced in it, and first person is never used, which is why I think the use of the F word is effective. When I was reading the character's intro, I'm in their, I'm in their mind, and no person is directly called that, if I remember correctly. It's in a character's inner monologue while he's discriminating another character. But it wasn't a vulnerable moment for them. It was how they thought and their worldview. It was very casual and intimate in a way. You're in the character's mind, and that's how they see certain people, and they might not use that word in public, but it speaks to how that character views other people privately. Secondly, Stephen King is a smart guy and an LGBTQ ally. I don't think this gives him a get-out-of-jail-free card for putting that word in his books, but he knows how to use words to build characters and worlds. Stephen King knows how to build interesting worlds, and you can't have an interesting world without complex characters in it. That's my thought on that. 
I haven't seen any of the film adaptations of this book, so I'm really excited to watch the original miniseries for this. I've heard you two talk it up, and it's on a few lists of great vampire films. I'm a huge fan of the original Texas Chainsaw, so the fact that it's done by Toby Hooper is a huge plus for me. Thanks, Matthew. And I yeah. like that take on, you know, on on the use of language and whatnot. And I have to say this, like, is I like, I'm never going to be on here and I'm not going to, there's certain words I would never say like on our podcast, but overall I do feel, I don't feel like words, certain words should never be used. Mm -hmm. I think that they can be used in artistic formats for certain reasons. And I think what Matthew's saying, like here, I think sort of that applies to it. I'm not like if I was reading a book and there were certain words used and I wouldn't necessarily just put it down right away. But mm -hmm. I think there's like, he had these like justifications of why he thinks it's important in the world of Salem's lot. And I think that's the whole point is if artistically it is um, in there for a reason, then I think that those words can be potent and valuable and important. Yes. And Stephen King is also very good at going to certain times and places uh, and painting a picture of certain types of people uh, that sometimes language often like horrible slurs uh that you don't often see used now because uh uh rightfully so but um when painting a certain picture of a place time types of people he doesn't shy away from doing that heavy dark subject matter and that's how people like that that he's trying to design and bring to life would talk or think or interact mm -hmm. with other people so yeah i think the important thing is that the words aren't used casually in mm -hmm. artistic mediums because yeah. i think that's when people feel that it's okay for anyone to be using them in any sort of way it needs context it needs context for sure like there's certain like plays and musicals i can think of that have certain words in them that should be there because of what it says about a character mm -hmm. um but then there's other times when you're reading a script and you're like okay this does not need to be here and like i would never do this play because there's no way i would like have it person say this word over and over like this so yeah you're like it's there for shock value you can tell yeah. when it's there to shock and when it's there because it's actually helping to build a picture but i i do think that looking at movies over time it is fascinating to see the evolution in film in regards to mm -hmm. it's i don't know what the right derogatory terms i guess maybe yes. of certain things there's just certain words that were used quite liberally in um, we've talked about before, but like in the eighties and even in the nineties and things like that, even in the early two thousands, quite honestly, quite honestly. Yeah. It, they, <laughs> they kept doing it and you're like, and that is there just to shock. Like it's not yes. there for anything other than to be like, Oh my God, like to hear that word. So, you know, or sometimes it just speaks to like the screenwriter you know? yeah, <laughs> or the people making it in their the own personal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I love the topic. I love the discussion in regards to it. And, and I'm open-minded when it comes to it. I'm yeah. not like, uh, it's not a black or white topic to me. I think that there's lots of, there can be lots of blur and lots of room for um, people to talk about, about language. And I think that it's the, mm -hmm. the important of language, the importance of language. The import of language. <laughs> <laughs> the importance of lang. Yes. Uh, and Toby Hooper, I think, is uh, greatly underappreciated. So that's awesome. I like when people talk about him as a director and like Salem's Lot is an underappreciated work of his. Like he gets sort of 
he did Texas Chainsaw, and then everyone doesn't remember the rest of his filmography. And I think there's also that whole poltergeist thing hanging out there, mm-hmm. where everyone wants to take that away from him uh, and give it totally to Spielberg. But yeah, because I mean, I don't, I don't, I everyone seems to know Poltergeist, but like, I don't think people automatically link it to Toby Hooper. They link it to because it's a Steven Spielberg production, and it just feels Steven Spielbergian. So yeah. like, people just automatically, that's where their mind goes. Exactly. But yeah. I think after you engage enough with Hooper and you go back and watch uh, Poltergeist, you're like, no, there's a lot of Toby Hooper here. Like, you could feel his uh, impulses in that movie. Um, like the guy peeling his face off. Yeah, exactly. And just like, yeah, the, the horror of... Um, being in a recognizable like he was really good at just taking locations you knew around you like and the horror just happening in real life sort of like texas chainsaw or if you really watch something like the fun house and then jump to poltergeist you can see how those things connect with each other even salem's lot because it's you know perfect for him because it's just set in a town besieged by horror like he was really good at taking very real feeling locations and then adding this element of awfulness like going on behind the scenes yeah and my husband just finished that book too and i think felt very similarly to matthew in regards to it being way too long so and i don't think joe was like i want to go back and watch the series the mini series but maybe i'm wrong i know he hasn't like hopped on it since he finished it so yeah matthew, i'm curious what you'll think especially like i mean i it has a place in my mind from watching it as a kid after i read the book in like seventh mm-hmm. or eighth grade which is a much different space in my life that I'm obviously in now, um, some, you know, 20, 30 years later. So I'll be curious to know what you think of when you watch it. Yeah. It's just like, oh, no, bad, boring. Now I want to reread the book, too, because it's been a long time. But I remember being very like into it the first Mm -hmm. time I read it, like I tore through that book. So I didn't even notice the length or anything like that. So, yeah, um, I don't know. The the only Stephen King I can think of that I read that I felt like this needed to have like half the book cut out was the Tommy knockers. I think I've mentioned that before. Oh yeah. The one where you're like, there's a good story in there, but he needed to be edited like very much so. Cause there's just so many asides and extra shit in that one that just doesn't serve the the bigger narrative at all. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for writing in. We love a trove of telegrams. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. And you can write to us, scaringasharing at gmail.com, or follow us on Insta, scaringasharing, all one word. And you um, can go to our link tree on our Instagram and buy merch. Teacher Drew, thank you for yeah. supporting your merch. Yep, there are t-shirts and yes. all kinds of things. Hats, I don't know. You can get it on anything, I think, yeah. on there. So, yeah. It was so fun. I wore my It's Only a Podcast t-shirt when I was in Alaska. And it happened to be the day we went to, I can't remember which town, they all blend together. But I was in some town and there were birds all around me, like, flock because people were throwing <gasps> out food and there were birds everywhere. So I got a picture of me with, like, all these, like, crows right by me. <laughs> And I was wearing their fucking shirt. It was like the day I chose to wore it where the Uh day the birds came out. And I was like, it's kismet. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Well, anything else to discuss, Jeremy? That's it for now. Let's let's share our scares with each other, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, So I'm going to share first. And this came up recently. And quite honestly, when I watched it, I fell asleep. So I need to give it a, a real watch and i know you haven't seen it and i'm so curious what you'll think of it so i'm giving you from last year hatching hatching cool i know nothing about this nothing Um, not a thing not a thing oh my god i thought you knew something about it no i'm assuming it's got something to do with an egg (laughs) or 
something being born, birthing perhaps of some kind. Um, so I don't know. Uh, but it's one of your choices. So it's probably some, maybe it's metaphorical. <laughs> the hatching is not a literal, because I want to think like a monster chicken of some kind is born and kills a bunch of people. But okay. I doubt it. I doubt it's that. But uh, we're going to go with that. If it was that, would you be excited? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually the unknown sequel to Thanksgiving. To Thanksgiving. Awesome. Yep. Cool. That's what it is. I can't wait to watch the prequel. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And I'm excited to watch the whole thing. I'll talk more about it in the second part. But I know lots of people that really love this movie. So, and I had a friend write me last night who said he watched it. And I was like, you know what? I keep forgetting about that. And I want you to see it. So that's what's going to happen. Cool. And my selection, I've been waiting and thinking about doing this. It's been a long time since I've seen it. So I wanted to rewatch it. But um, with all this talk about so bad it's good, the fact that the new Toxic Avenger is finally coming out, um, I'm going to go with the Toxic Avenger Part 2. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. All right, well, I imagine it's more of the same. Toxie, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's still with the same girl or what, but, um, you know, bad guys, him out saving the day. And, oh my god, Jeremy, it's almost two hours long. That should not be a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Toxic Adventure Part 2? Isn't that long? It's an hour and 48 minutes, which is way closer to two hours than it is to an hour and a half. (laughs) Oh god, Uh oh. (laughs) All right. well, I'll be curious to see if it um, can sustain itself for such length. Yeah, I seem to remember no, but we'll find out. (laughs) We'll find out. Okay, well, we'll see in what ways it evolves the story and and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I mean, I liked the first one, so I'm open-minded to the second one and to see where the journey continues. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's watch them and talk about them. Cool. Don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. This is where we talk about the movies now. Yep, we watched them, and now we're going to talk about them because we shared them with each other. And you. And you. <laughs> and um, so if you want to skip ahead to Toxic Avenger, you can do that. Just um, look in the podcast notes. But we're starting off with Hatching from 2022. It is directed by Hannah Bergholm, and the tagline is, she's coming out of her shell. Oh, that's great. I love that. And the description is 12-year-old Tinya is desperate to please her mother, a woman obsessed with presenting the image of a perfect family. One night, Tinya finds a strange egg. What hatches is beyond belief. Was it beyond your belief, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, it surprised me that there was an actual monster. Sorry, spoilers. But... <laughs> so this is a finish, I think. Yeah, it's a finish. I'm wondering, if, like, it feels like it, like, sort of like a folk horror-y at times. So I was wondering, uh, is there any sort of folk story connection to this, I wonder, from Finland? Um, but yeah, hatching. It's got a little roll egg in there and some weird shit goes on. Yeah, so tell us what you thought. I don't, so... This is a weird movie. It, it like, I want to like it. Well, I should say I want to love it. I didn't not enjoy it. I enjoyed it. I wanted to love it. 
but there was something just slightly off. I feel like I think this is it's like dark. It's very dark. And it's one of those movies where and I don't it's weird like i i'm just i I'm sorting through my own brain trying to figure out like no why didn't it hit super hard with me because it's got a lot of the ingredients i enjoy mm-hmm. um but what i think it is is because it's got like an impressively like depressing atmosphere around it uh and not a lot of good things happen to anybody in this movie and yeah. i think that's it like i can handle dark i like dark and twisted but usually there's got to be some sort of payoff or reward or somebody needs to be able to like have so, at least one good thing happen to them and i'm on for the journey um but this was just kind of like dark 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 done <laughs> and there <laughs> not a lot of happiness in this movie so i think that's what is what was dragging me down watching it like i was waiting for the payoff of something you know not nice but some release from all the all the awfulness and there really isn't any yeah i mean i know i read the little description but let me just for anyone who may be curious so yes there's this like sort of like real perfect family like sort of like the illusion of perfection and the mom like does like social media and she's always taking videos of like look at me my perfect family so there's this like pressure on the family the mom's like a total bitch and um Mm -hmm. there's like a a dad and then there's a a son who's a total bitch and a daughter (laughs) tina and in the beginning like this bird breaks into their house and then like they they catch it and then the mom like kills it. And then later, like the girl like wakes up in the middle of the night and she goes out and she finds like um the bird, like hadn't fully died, so she kills it. And then she finds this egg and she takes it back to her house and she starts to care for it and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it hatches and there's this creepy bird monster in it. And then over time, like the, they sort of become a little bit like one. Like if mm-hmm. something happens to the bird, it happens to her and vice versa. And the bird starts to look like her but creepier Mm -hmm. and bad things start to happen. Like people, you know, in Tina's life who are like hurting her or like that there might be some competition with or whatever. And so it's all, that's sort of like the gist of it. Um, But it does like so much of it is about like the relationship between like a mother and her child. And like it breaks down into all these weird levels, like the main mom and her daughter and the mom, like really, could care less about that. She just wants a daughter to look perfect for her viewers, really. Yeah. And she and she wants the daughter to be a champion athlete because, because she, she she was. was in the past and yeah. her career. And they lead you to believe some sort of injury, something horrible yeah. happened to her and she couldn't be an ice skater anymore. So she's forcing her daughter into gymnastics, which she hates because she doesn't get to hang out with yeah. normal kids. But then there's the daughter, Tina, with the egg and the bird. But then to further complicate it, once the bird is hatched, there are some weird moments with the bird and the mom when, like, the mom is sleeping, like the main mom. So there's, mm-hmm. like, all these weird but layers. Sort of, yeah, these sort of, like, transference of emotions between the bird and the daughter, Tina, because they're kind of one and the same. Yes. So it is, like, complicated and complex in that way. And like you said, it is really dark. But... Not full-on spoilers, but slight spoilers. Not as many people die as you think are going to die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it, you're sure this person's going to get it, and this person's going to get it. And not that, like, the people you think are going to get it aren't the ones who necessarily get it all the time. <laughs> yeah. And then there's other, like, relationships going on. Like, the 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 mom, Tina's mom, is just a horrible person. Like The worst. 
Like all she cares about is her, you know, she keeps talking about her joy uh, and you're like, God, I just want to punch her in the face because all she cares about is herself um, to the extent of like, but the rest of the family doesn't do anything about it, you know, because her husband, the dad knows she's having an affair and doesn't care. And, you know, it's just about her the entire time. So that's like. Uh, I don't know. And you feel so hard for Tina, the main little girl, like that actress does a great job. Uh, And I really have so much like sympathy for her throughout this, but you want something good for her. And there just really is no good to be had with these characters or any of the situations they end up in. Yeah. And I kind of mentioned it the first in the first part, but when I, I tried to watch this when I was away at a conference and I sort of fell asleep in the middle and woke back up for the end. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't get the full watch. And so a friend of mine recently re- reached out and like asked me that I'd seen it. And I was like, eh, kind of, and I was like, well, because of the monster in it, like, I was like, maybe you would like this. So that's why I wanted to do it. And I was like, I, I got to fully watch it this time. I made it about 30 minutes in and I fell asleep again. Oh, like, no. It's like so weird. Like it just has, I don't know if it's the Finnish language or what. And yeah. then so like I finished it last night and I saw it all and I liked it more, of course, having not of course, because I could have liked it less, but I did like it more having watched the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the friends who reached out to me about it, um, John said like that his complaint was that there seemed to be a disconnect over the emotions from the Finnish language. And I just wonder if there is something to that. I don't know that I fully understand his comment, but like maybe there is a bit of a disconnect with the the differences in culture or something. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that is just solely the director's choice of choice. how she wanted to make the movie. But I did have a different interpretation this go around of what because it definitely is like sort of a almost like a, a like an weird retelling of like the ugly duckling. It reminded me of the black swan of a black swan sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's sort of like this turning into a bird thing mm-hmm. and like going through weird, not weird, but going through like female transitions. Like she's mm-hmm. at the age where like puberty's happening. Yes. And there is a moment that alludes to that in the movie too. As yes. to, yeah. So there's so. definitely that going on. But I this score and maybe this is like duh of course but it sort of feels like because of their weird fractured family and like what this little girl is going through that this other version of her like the person she truly is which seems like this like lovely sweet girl who loves her family like because of the shit going on in her family like you know her despondent dad and her like her mom who could just care less about her and like her, what she really wants in life, like really does not care about her at all. Like mm-hmm. has this affair and the, the, the guy she's having an affair with has a, a baby and she cares more about that baby. It seems than her own daughter. Yeah. Like, it's just like, it's so tragic, but it almost seems like this, this other version of Tina is like born and ultimately takes over. And it's like, like a fractured monster version of who she was. Like in my mind, I thought, I thought of this girl that I used to be really good friends with when I was in grade school, Makisha. And, um, 
And her parents were like, and like we were great friends in like fifth and sixth grade. She loved old movies. She was so funny. And then like we got into like junior high. And I just remember her parents were like the the worst. They were just like overbearing. They were rude. I know her dad hit her. And we just sort of grew apart. And eventually she became, as we called them in our, our school, everyone had a different name, but a Lodi. She became a Lodi and she would like smoke in the park and wear black. And, you know, mm. she did drugs. And she just turned into this other version than that girl I once knew and eventually she she killed herself it was very mm-hmm. tragic but um but it just i just thought of makisha this time watching it because i just and not to say like you can't like do drugs and smoke and like you can't also you can also be a good person like yes. i'm not saying oh that, no no not at all but it just feels like this other version of this little girl is born and takes over ultimately because of her family and who yeah. they were. It's like the hardened version the is hardened, born. Yeah, version because she her. has to go through these traumatic things. Like that's what this is. This is a traumatic family environment because it's so dysfunctional. Um, yeah. in reality, like they put on the blog to show how perfect they are, but in reality, it's not a functional family situation whatsoever. Uh and that has effects especially on kids when you're developing. So she is a she becomes uh, the creature is perhaps like you're saying this metaphor for this hardened version of the person that comes out of that. Cause you've lived through so much trauma. You're going to be a different person at the end. And I know we've talked a lot about meta 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 horror, meta horror, what do we call it? meta horror, meta horror, like a metaphor, metaphor horror, yeah, <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> it's a really hard word, but the metaphorical horror. Yeah. And like, I love it. For the most part, like I didn't find it tremendously successful with Smile and the Boogeyman was just like fine. But mm-hmm. like this feels more successful in the way that I just think it's a little bit more of a unique way to do it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I think this is more because the metaphor makes more sense here. I think with Smile and the Boogeyman, we're sort of we think we got what the metaphor is, but we're not necessarily 100% sure by the way the movie presents it, whereas this is very clear what's going on. Well, some, like with Smile, it just felt so simple. Like, not simple, but it felt so obvious to me. Like, oh, we're talking about mental health. But mm-hmm. but then also, like, the mental health was like people were constantly killing themselves, which, what is that saying about mental health? Like, yeah. But it's just still, like... It gets muddled it gets muddled and like the horror is always like someone smiling really big which just feels kind of obvious and maybe here the fact that this other version of her is born and sort of transforms into her maybe is obvious too but it felt you it felt more unique and it dealt more with like body horror Mm -hmm. and also the fact that there's like practical effects yeah like that was so cool like i just thought it looked cool like the monster was cool and it's gross too there's gross moments for sure It reminds me of a, uh, it sort of had the vibe, the way the practical practical effects are done. It reminded me a little bit of like Full Moon Pictures' movies. If you remember, if you ever saw mm. anything, that's like the Puppet Master movies. Oh, and stuff. yeah. That was, that's Charles Bam's company. So like they were cranking them out, especially in the 90s, just straight to video, like a lot of monster movies. But I saw plenty of those as a kid. Uh, and they have a certain charm to them the way they always did the practical effects in those where it looks like some kind of fucked up kids movie like every single one of full moons uh like monster productions and that's what this reminded me of it also kind of feels like a possession movie sometimes yeah which is cool like there's one particular moment where 
someone's skin on their jaw they scream so loud that the skin splits and i just thought that is so fucking cool yeah that was really cool looking like why is that not happening it may have but like in any possession movie i've seen that's not happen but it's like oh my god that's so great like you scream so hard and loud and whatever it just tears (laughs) that skin like connecting your upper and lower jaw yeah that was cool that was yeah it's it's just it's weird it's depressing um and it, yeah, it's 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 sad, but I, I think it's good. I definitely yeah. liked it more here. But th- there is something about it that puts me to sleep. Yeah, it's it's a good movie. Um, and I saw online like the response was like unanimously great. It has like a ninety percent something on Rotten Tomatoes oh, and all that. Yeah, so I was like, oh, why do I not love it as much though? Like I feel like I wanted to give it a higher score, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah, I feel like there's a slight disconnect somehow in there. Yes, yes. And I don't know if that's like the whole point. Like the mom is the worst and it sort of feels like it's about the mom and maybe like the ultimate moment of her realizing too late, perhaps, that she sort of fucked things up and that the daughter she once had that was so great is no longer. Yeah. You know? There you go. So, but yeah, it is... um, it's it's good. There's just that yeah, something about it that I I'm just like you. I can't be like, "Oh, I loved that." I can be like, "That's good and that was well done." Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it would never be on like the top of my like I don't I had watched it before the end of last year and it wasn't on my top. My top horror films of the year. But mm-hmm. worth a watch, especially if like just hearing about it makes you go, "Oh yeah, that sounds like something I might dig." Yeah, check it out. Check it out. Fucking yeah. check it out. All right, anything else to say? No, I think that's it for hatching. All right, well, out of five vomit licks. Mmm. Mmm, yum, we love licking up vomit. How many do you give hatching? I'm going to give it a solid three. Okay, I'm going to give it a three and a half, slightly higher than my original score of three. There you go. And we have a... Scare of approval. Yeah, still firmly a scare of approval firmly and all right well great how did you watch it jeremy i watched it on hulu okay it's on there eh it's on there um the subtitles were a little annoying the way hulu had them they were that white text with black like block around them yeah yeah so that was kind of annoying and i'm like i wish there was like a this was a print of the movie that had the like natural or however you know more cinematic subtitles on there, not just the auto-generated like subtitles or whatever they were. But yeah, gross. Um, but yeah, that was kind of gross. But you know, I got through it. It was not too bad. Yeah. All right. Cool. So let's move on to um, the Toxic Avenger Part Two. Yeah. From Lloyd Kaufman, Michael Hers, of course. Uh, the tagline is: "The first superhero from New Jersey is back." And the description is the Toxic Avenger is lured to Tokyo, Japan by the evil corporation Apocalypse Inc. So while the Toxic Avenger is fighting crime in Tokyo, Apocalypse Inc. spreads evil in Tromaville. Yeah. That's I it. mean, it's more of the same, right? Yeah. <laughs> and didn't they film like this and part three like together or they came out right around the same time? That's what I had heard was they like filmed a whole bunch of shit and then turned it into two and three. Although I feel like this one's different enough from what happens in three that I'm like, is that true? Or did they just film them really close together? I'm not sure. 
So that's what I'll say on a positive note is like, so it's really toxic. <laughs> Avenger goes to Japan. Is yeah. Like what happens? Uh-huh. At least they change up the location. It's not the exact same thing in the exact same place. Mm-hmm. But Jesus Christ, I can't remember if we were recording or not when this conversation happened, but to see that this movie is like an hour 50 or an hour 48, this is too long too much i like i saw some review on letterboxd was like it just doesn't end and i'm like that's how i felt watching this it's too long for something like okay i remember watching this one in college and being like when i like got real into trauma and started to like really explore the back catalog and i remember being like oh it's funny i don't know if that's just like collegiate you know sophomoric humor hit better when I was younger because now I'm like this is mostly not funny like all the jokes are and it's trauma so it's never going to be PC they're actively like trying to offend you but still like the jokes are not even clever like there's not even clever setups um, and it, it just it doesn't hit the same way as the first one no and yeah, it really doesn't the big thing I learned reading about it too was this movie exists because the first Toxic Avenger was a huge hit in Japan, apparently. So they they decided to shoot like, let's put the second one in Japan. It'll be an even bigger hit over there. So that's how that came about. Okay. Yeah. There are a couple of great lines in it. Like someone's yes. like, ooh, what's that smell? Addicts. <laughs> and not like that upper part of your house, but like, you know, crystal yeah. meth. Yep. Um, and then the other one I loved was someone said, neither a borrower or a lender be Shakespeare. And then this other woman says, fuck you, David Mamet. And I laughed so hard at that because I'm like, that's a theater joke I get. And it's very clever. <laughs> that was great. And there was also a part where a small child was being branded that I found particularly yes. funny. <laughs> yeah, it's got moments. It's got it moments. Has moments of cleverness. But like truly, if it was an hour and 15 minutes minutes like seriously shave off a half hour because it does the same thing over and over and over again like the towards the opening there's this blind home massacre and yes you cannot come into that like if you are someone easily offended like trauma is not your jam and this movie is not your jam yeah Uh, because yes there's a a home for the blind and i mean everyone gets obliterated but there's Mm -hmm. some like that's the fun thing about these movies are like the fun kills and they're fun in a goofy way not like a saw like how's how you take the skin off your arm and your hand and your face sort of way Mm -hmm. but like there's all these clever kills like someone gets like smushed in like a wheelchair and it's like gory and bloody and that's fun there's like a chorus line like kick circle thing surrounds toxie and starts yeah yeah, kicking him and they don't mean a thing if he ain't got that swing is playing like over and over and over Uh uh-huh yeah (laughs) that's some craziness that's the main theme like that's just constantly (laughs) through this movie and i'm like i guess that was the one like public domain thing they could get for it oh my god and i think that the the guy who played toxie i think maybe he died or something hmm. in real life. I don't remember. Oh, I looked it up, but it it was on. I watched it on Saturday, and it's a whole. It's behind me now. It's behind you now. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it is. It is one of those movies too, where you feel like because the Japan thing would be cool if it didn't have like it has like no payoff really, like plot wise. Like he goes to Japan for this whole like drawn out sequence that really is disconnected or just barely connected to the rest of the plot anyway. And then he just comes back in and resolves it. And it 
it's as if the Japan stuff never happened or it doesn't matter to the plot at all by the end of the movie, which is sort of like, that's just not great writing right there. And it just keeps going. Yeah. Like and comes it comes back and then it just keeps going. It just keeps going and going. Um, yeah, that's really it. Like this movie should have just focused on Toxie in Japan. Like if it focused on that, that would have been a more fun and novel, I think, sequel than the bookends of doing this whole like, I mean, that's Lloyd Kaufman's big thing. Like he is into environmentalism because um, that tends to be the bad guys are always like evil corporations that are polluting the planet, polluting human beings, our bodies with their product, whatever it may be that they're putting out there. So like he definitely has a message that's somewhat anti-capitalist, anti-consumerist and pro-environment um, in there. Uh but yeah, it just sort of like none of those things are firing as well as the original Toxic Avenger in this movie. Yeah. And I know I just mentioned, but the guy who played Toxie was John Ultramura. And he did. He died of a hmm. heart attack. No. I know. This, this also is the first movie uh, appearance of Michael Ja White, um, who just hmm. happens to play one. Of, he plays the goon in the beginning that goes like, well, you're lucky I'm late for my piano lesson and then runs away instead of fighting uh, the Toxic Avenger. But he's a, uh, you know, a action movie martial arts star. Um, OK, he's he's gone on to fame as Spawn in the uh, Spawn movie from the late 90s and uh, Black Dynamite. Mm. Awesome send up of like black exploitation movies, as well as just being a character actor that's appeared in like tons of stuff. If you look him up, you'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, I've seen a bunch of movies he's in. So, uh, but this is where he started, just like a lot of, you know, people that go on to bigger success horror movies and especially trauma. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And um, the, the, there's like not quite a love interest because he's still with his main girlfriend, but there's like a girl he's with a lot in Japan mm-hmm. and her dubbed voice sounds like an old woman. And it is. It is? It was Lloyd Kaufman's mother. Oh my god, that's so funny. There's like a time or two where I could tell it was the girl's real voice. Uh-huh. But like all the other times, I'm like, you sound like an old woman. Yeah, so apparently I, I read a blurb online that she, she and the uh, actor that played Big Mac, the, the bad guy over in Japan. Okay. Um, they Troma was told that the actors they secured for that, like, oh yeah, they speak English and they got over there and their English wasn't good enough to use in the movie, so they had to be redubbed by other actors. And those happened to be Lloyd Kaufman's mother and then Michael Hers himself, the co-director as Big oh, Mac. Yeah. So make it yep. till you make it. Or yep. fake it till you don't make it. Till you know. don't make it. And I do love the line where what does he say? Like, Melvin, my son, my boy, or whatever that, that delivery <laughs> is so amazing in that oh scene. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, there's also um a kill that happens with like uh fish that makes like a no the guy's nose look like fish. Like it's like a um yeah, like it's like, make, a, like a panini or something. Yeah, it's an iron shaped an like iron, a fish that you. yeah, yep. he uses on the guy's nose and it looks like a fried fish yeah it's just entirely too long yeah what it is and yeah i mean the first one just has a little bit more charm to it yeah and it this one really shows that it's just sort of they're trying to get through the they're trying to get to the gore scenes and the 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 action scenes with pretty dubious Mm -hmm. plotting and like that really shows at the end when they're just like 
And then he sent it like a narrator, Toxie narrating the movie just says like, and then the main bad guy sent his worst villain of all, the Black Rider or whatever his name was. And it was just a dude in all black on a motorcycle that has no, it's just clearly a stunt rider uh, and and a chase sequence they shot and just had to try and fit that into the movie somehow. Like it feels so poorly written in (laughs) just to get to that chase sequence. Yep. So do with it as you will. Do with it as you will. Uh, I I was pretty sure I had seen all the Toxic Avengers, but I'm pretty sure I've never actually watched part three because every time I read about it, I'm like, this none of this sounds familiar, so I must never have watched part three. Um, but I've seen one, two, and four. So oh boy, yep. Uh, well, good times. And there is a blurb in the beginning of four because four came in the late nineties. So there's like a good decade between it and the previous sequel, I think. So when they did four, it was sort of like they make fun of the prior sequels where they go like, and then two and three happened, but those sucked. So we're not going to talk about those anyway. So there is some self-referential humor in part four. Although I would argue part four is not really, I don't think all that much better than two or three anyway, but I thought I liked when they did that in two as well. Like they talked about part one, and mm-hmm. about the upcoming part three. Oh yeah, they well. did have that one line where he's like, "If we don't stop them, there won't be a part three. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, that's always fun. Yeah, I enjoy that stuff. But yeah, other yeah. than that, if you got anything else to add, I don't. No. So don't. out of out of five, um, uh, uh wind sail surfboard trips across Mm -hmm. the pacific to japan uh how many do you give it i'll give it two i also give it a two all right well that means you can take it and throw it on the slash throw it on the slash that's right yep get it out of here yep so between the two split down the middle like one good one bad yeah although neither bad I mean, Toxic Avengers not bad. Like, if you dig that shit, you might want to watch it if you're a completist or whatever. Yeah, you might still dig it. I mean, that's the thing with trauma. Continuing from our so bad it's good, like the original Toxic Avengers, definitely a movie I see thrown into the so bad it's good category by many people. Um, But that's the thing with trauma. That's what you get. They're usually either so bad they're good or just kind of bad. So it's like that's that's the that's the game you play with watching a trauma movie. Oh boy, such a game. Yeah, but I'm still glad they do what they do because it would be a lot more boring out there without trauma movies once in a while. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. Disruption that's what they say. Uh, because trauma, I just saw they're celebrating their 50th year in existence. Oh, wow, the company's been around for 50 years and they say disrupting media for 50 years. So, that's crazy. Yeah, I like that. That's a long time. That is a long time. You're like, that doesn't sound right, but I guess it does. Cause they started like in the seventies originally. Wow. Like, yeah. So, you know, they started as just a distributor, but then started making their own movies. So, huh? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Well, if you want to write us scaring sharing at gmail.com or follow us on Insta scaring and sharing. All one word. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't uh leave me now yeah sorry i just leave me hanging uh, uh, i'm sorry i'm sorry 
And we appreciate you all listening. Thank you so much. And come back and uh, hang out with us next week, okay? Yeah, come back, please. And um, remember that sometimes that is better. And until next time, guys, this chud's for you. And keep watching and talking about scary movies because... Scaring is sharing, dudes! Bye! This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast.